This podcast is sponsored by Picmonic. In 2011, two medical students came up with the ingenious idea to combine medical education with unforgettable characters and ridiculously memorable stories. Featuring over 35,000 high-yield facts and graphics, Picmonic has helped over 600,000 students improve exam scores and perform better clinically. Picmonic has resources for pre-med and medical students, as well as other healthcare professions. Check out the show notes for a link to their website. Mention the podcast when you subscribe. With Picmonic, you can study less, but remember more. The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. I'm so excited to be speaking with several members and academic advisors associated with the MedEx program. MedEx Academy is a part of the USC Greenville School of Medicine entity, and they function to provide programming to help uh, students interested in careers in healthcare. So they reached out and they're here to talk about this incredible program and everything it has to offer. I'm joined by Tori, Caroline, and Alicia. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Yeah, so with this podcast, I'm fortunate to learn about a lot of these incredible pipeline programs that different people have taken advantage of and incorporated into their journeys into healthcare. I'm so, so excited to be able to share yet another program that students can take advantage of. Alicia, well, can you tell us uh, kind of who you are and, and how you're affiliated with the MedEx Academy? Yeah, so I got into this MedEx bubble during my senior year of college. Um, which the normal, I guess, MedEx experience, usually that last like tier of MedEx, you're going to be going into your senior year of college. So I was sort of an untraditional uh, MedEx student, but I participated in tier four, which is the highest tier, the last tier. Um, and that's mainly about professional development, personal development, self-discovery, things like that. And I realized how behind the curve I was. MedEx kind of like got me on track and kind of gave me this game plan, uh, forced me into a gap year, which was totally fine. Um, I went to LMU, Lincoln Memorial University for my master's in anatomical sciences, loved it. Um, I was actually at LMU's DCOM program, so their DO program, Um, and it was a lot of fun. I got to kind of get a little taste of what it's like to kind of be a med student. I took some of their classes, loved it, Um, and then I realized I'm not really ready to go straight into med school after that, so I got a call from MedEx saying, hey, do you want to work for us? Thought they probably got the wrong number. Come to find out, (laughs) they didn't. Um, And so they invited me to serve as a program advisor and also as a URM recruitment coordinator, which I love. I'm actually very happy I didn't get into med school and that I'm not there right now because I have this newfound passion for mentorship. And I think MedEx has been the biggest part of my journey, especially when it comes to establishing that passion. So that's how I got in this MedEx bubble. Love being here. I love the role that I have. Um, And I'm just really grateful for, for this program. And how long have you been a part of MedEx? It's been two years. It's been a growth process. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. It's speaking of growth, so Tori, you're the newest member of the team? I am indeed. <laughs> how did you become affiliated with MedEx? So in 2018, I became a student in their Tier 2. I was a freshman at Clemson and happened to stumble onto Prisma's website and found out about MedEx Academy, well, at the time, Greenville Hospital Healthcare System. But I was just kind of taking a shot in the dark and was like, oh, this sounds like a nice program. 
And thankfully, uh, they took a chance with me and decided to have me in their program. So I was in it for three years. And after not getting into med school, my first round, I decided to have my gap year with MedEx Academy. It's really been a wonderful experience because as much growth I've experienced personally, I wanted to go ahead and help students who, you know, are a lot like me in that, that way of, I don't really know what this, this journey is like. Like, I don't know every step that I have to take because not all of us have healthcare members in our family. So I wanted to be in this role to give back to students who are like me in that way. But I'm very excited to have this gap year opportunity. And it's been a great growing opportunity for sure. And I work with amazing people every day. Fantastic. And last but not least, Caroline, what brings you to MedEx Academy? Yeah, so like Tori in 2018, I was a sophomore at Bob Jones University. And one of, so actually Al Squire, the executive director of the program, he came over to Bob Jones and did a presentation on values and kind of reassessing where you are in life. And I was blown away by him and his presentation. And he happened to talk about this MedEx program that he loves so much. And I was like, hmm, that sounds interesting. So I looked into it a little bit more, talked to some people at Bob Jones who had been a part of the MedEx program. And I was blown away by um, just the type of people that they were. They kind of stood out from other people around me. And so I knew that I wanted to be a part of MedEx. So I applied and I interviewed and uh, by the grace of God, got accepted into the program because at the time I was not a great interviewer. So I was a part of tier three and then I did tier four in 2019. I was going to be an intern the summer of 2020, but COVID happened. So everything was a little bit different as AJ can (laughs) talk about. Um, and then I reached out to Sarah and she offered me a position as a program advisor. So I've been doing that for the last year and a half now, and I absolutely love it so much. Fantastic. So now I'm sure the question everybody has is what is MedEx Academy? I'll kind of dive into that a little bit. And then AJ and Tori definitely follow up with anything that you, that I miss. So the MedEx Academy is a pre-health internship program, which is actually a pipeline program into the USC School of Medicine in Greenville. So a couple points about that. We have a lot of students that go into a lot of different areas of healthcare, not just medicine. It is a pipeline program in the sense that we have a lot of students who are interested in going into becoming physicians. And so we're actually written into the accreditation of USC SOMG, that school in Greenville. And so a lot of our students actually end up going there and a lot of them um, were actually able to track that data. So I think this last year we had almost 20 students that are are associated or are now um, med students at the School of Medicine in Greenville. So that's about 20% of their class. But otherwise, the MedEx program is four tiers, and Tori will talk a little bit about those tiers specifically. And something that's really awesome about this program that's really different from a lot of other programs is that it's completely free. So we're funded by the Prisma Healthcare System and by really generous donors. We're working on a couple other ways to fund our program as well, but 
through these things, we're able to provide this program for free to students. So tier four is our longest tier. And again, Tori will talk about these. It's seven weeks long. Tier three is six weeks. Tier two is five weeks long. And then tier one is four weeks long. And that's really based on the needs of each student in each stage of life that they're in and stage of education. And so within each tier, we really try to meet the needs of each person and also meet them along the path where they are and make sure that we're giving them support in whatever that looks like. And a lot of times that also means some sort of financial help as well. So that's just a little bit about the program. And then I'll pass it on to Tori to talk about the individual (laughs) tiers. So as Caroline said, we have four tiers to our program. We start off with rising seniors in high school and tier one. Tier one is essentially all about career exploration, helping our students get their toes wet in healthcare and figuring out exactly what their options are. In addition to that, though, we want to help our students figure out what their next step should be after high school. Of course, we have a lot of students who are interested in college, but deciding whether or not they want to go to a four-year school or a two-year program or even go straight into a job is a big decision that we help our students make. We kind of laugh at how much our students will come to us who are high schoolers absolutely freaked out about applying to college. And having gone through it, all of us, we realize that you know it is a big step, but once you get through it, it's okay. Um, So we definitely try to offer peace and confidence to our students when they're at that phase of uh, their journey. So again, tier one is all about exploration. Unfortunately, because our students in tier one are so young, they are not able to go into the hospital system to shadow, Mm. but we bring providers to them through lectures, which brings me to tier two, which is typically freshmen or sophomores in college. Uh, We do have non-traditional students, so we're not we're not totally, you know, only college students. We do have students from all over. But tier two is all about career exploration again, except at this point, you're old enough to actually shadow in the hospital system. So they can interact with different healthcare providers. And the tricky thing about medics is we're not only going to put you with healthcare providers you're interested in becoming one day, we'll put you in some areas that you're not interested in, Um, which was definitely something I was not expecting as a student. Going into tier two, I was sitting in a department that I was not really interested in, but it's good because you need to know both what you like and what you don't like when when you're on this journey towards healthcare. Tier three, so by this point, we assume that most of our students feel a little more comfortable with knowing their options. So now it's time to get ready for a test. A lot of our students are preparing for the MCAT. Oh, okay. Not your test. Uh, Other test. Oh, another test for sure. Okay. (laughs) Um, So our students are preparing either for the MCAT or the PCAT, whatever it may be. And our big focus is making sure they have the resources to be prepared. So we offer our students free resources, whether it's Kaplan or anything else, to help them study. Once again, completely free to them. And I know that was a huge gift for me because that gets really pricey when you're trying to study for big (laughs) tests. So in addition to that test prep during tier three, our students are also shadowing. You'll see the theme. We want our students to explore no matter what stage in the program they're at. By the time we get to tier four, our students are ready to either apply to a job or apply to professional school. 
And this is by far my favorite tier because it is where a lot of growth happens. Our students go through hours upon hours of mock interviews because we want our students to have their worst interview with us. Mm. Get out all of the nervousness. And when you leave tier four, you feel confident and at peace with where you're at and you feel prepared for whatever that next step may be for you. That's a lot to throw at you, but that's kind of a (laughs) summation of it all. She's not joking when she says hours and hours. I mean, it's grueling. It is exhausting. And it's like, what, three days, three full Mm -hmm. days. But once you leave, you feel a lot better about your interviewing skills. It's brutal. But we also do something called hot seat. So our executive director, Al Squire, will put everyone in this huge room and he'll call on each individual person, ask them an interview question and just rip them apart. He ripped me apart. It was it was (laughs) it was pretty intense. He was like, I don't like that answer. I'm going to need you to go sit down, think about it, and I'll call you again. I was like, okay, while I'm like shaking. (laughs) But, you know, it it prepares you for the worst. And so that makes all these other interviews a piece of cake. And like, that's what we want. want students to go in comfortable, feeling good about themselves. I think MedEx definitely helps with that. Yeah. And and Caroline mentioned the name and you just mentioned it as well, AJ. Who is Al Squire? Mm, That's a great question. We should have started with that. But... (laughs) Al Squire, he um, had this really great idea. He thought, wow, there are a lot of um, deficits in South Carolina, specifically in healthcare. So he wanted to come up with some type of program that could help alleviate that shortage and help close the gap um, between how many healthcare providers we have and, of course, who we're serving in South Carolina. I'm sure you probably know we have a lot of rural areas in South Carolina. A lot of those areas do not have the healthcare providers that they need. And so there are a lot of resource deficits and people who can't get proper care. Um, And so him recognizing that, him being the amazing human being he is, he kind of formed this program called Medics Academy. And so he kind of partnered with Prisma Health, which was then Greenville Health System, and of course, USC School of Medicine Greenville, and developed this program from the ground up. Started with about 12 students, 12 high school seniors, and he literally had a van, 12 students, and he would just drive around the upstate of Greenville, trying to find as many opportunities and experiences as possible. Um, And there's one student in particular who really stands out to everyone. Her name is Kelsey Williams. And she was a very, very eager high school student who probably pestered Al Squire to the death to let her into that program. Um, She eventually went to USC School of Medicine Greenville. She graduated. And now she is a resident family medicine in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, She's doing amazing things. She's awesome. She's so connected to our program. But all the other students have also gone on to do to have great journeys. But that's one student in particular we're really proud of, but that's sort of the inception of MedEx and Al Squire's the mastermind behind all these amazing things. Started with just 12 students and that was back in 2010? Yeah, yeah, 2010. So we're 11 years strong. How many folks have you been able to help? Over a thousand students now, right? Yeah. Yep. Over a thousand. And we hit the thousand mark this last summer. We did. And the big question that students always ask, so how many of your students end up going into medical school or end up having a healthcare career? And I know they're asking that question to see our success rate. And I think it's a valid question. But one thing that we want as a a program, not necessarily for students to absolutely choose a career in healthcare, but to choose what makes them happy. And so they may see that as success as, oh, wow, 20% of our students are, you know, make up USC School of Medicine Greenville's incoming class. But our success is, did you find what you wanted to do? Did you find your passion and did you follow through with it? 
we've had comedians, we've had lawyers. I mean, we've had all types of students come in and some of them even no say like, no, this is not for me. And for us, that's success. We expose you enough to let you know that healthcare was not for you. And so we did our job. Even our um, program manager, Sarah Knowles, she was actually a part of the program. And when she was in the program, she realized, I don't want to do healthcare. And now she is at the head honcho of this program and she loves doing things like this. So she's also someone who we consider a success story, even though she didn't end up in healthcare. It's fantastic to really broaden that definition of what is a success, quote unquote. For Tori and Caroline, part of the things that you teach your students, the top 10 requirements for being successful in graduate and or professional schools. Could you delve into those? We can dive into a list that we have. It goes from 10 to 1. The number 10 being uh, important and that increasing all the way down. So I'll list them out for you. And then maybe AJ and Tori can kind of talk through some of those specifically. So the first one is believe. You have to believe in yourself that you can do this. And then number nine is social you. So who are you around other people? Number eight is the test. So the MCAT, the DAT, the mm. PSAT, whatever that is, GPA. And then number six is academic rigor. So what does the program that you're in look like and how rigorous is it? Is it? And then number five is work-related experience. So are you getting the experiences that you need to make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into? Number four then is extracurriculars. And then the top three, so these ones are really important, our personal statement, letters of recommendation, and then the interview. So I'll hand it over to Tori and AJ to chat about those specifically. I'll go ahead and start off with number 10, which is believe. The reason I stepped in to talk about this one is because I think it was a point that I really needed a lot of help with when I was a med ex student. I've always considered myself a very shy person, and so being around so many other different people in medics, it made me question, like, do I have what it takes to be in healthcare? Like, because I'm a little more reserved or quiet, like, can I actually do this? And with the help of all of the people at medics, especially Mr. Squire, he helped me really believe in myself that I have everything that it takes to be in healthcare. And it doesn't matter if you're quiet or you're very extroverted. It doesn't matter. We all have a different piece that we have to add to the pie of healthcare. Um, so that's by far my favorite piece of the top 10 is believe, uh, followed by social you. So we always tell students the horror stories of medical schools or other graduate pro graduate programs, um, looking up people's social media. And mm. they are astonished mm -hmm. that they will go <laughs> to that length to find information on you. So we really want to make sure our students are showing up in the best light possible on every platform possible. Even if that means you don't have social media, that's okay. Just make sure you're showing up in a positive light. AJ, I know number eight is definitely something you're familiar with if you want to talk about the test. Yeah. So the test is probably one of the things on the top 10 that I have yet to check off. So I'm trying to get into medical school. Um, and of course, I have to take the MCAT. Um, I have not been able to master this test. Probably until recently, I've actually been more, I've dove deeper into the strategy of the test. 
because a lot of what the MCAT is, is strategy and strategizing through these passages and these questions and their answer choices and not falling for traps and things like that. Um, and so I think now it's finally clicking my content and my strategy and how that's applying on the test. Um, but even with these other high level tests, the DAT, the PA CAT, all these upper level science courses that you have to be tested on, um, you're basically being tested on your entire undergraduate career, like basically. And so sometimes it can be a little difficult, but that's one thing that we try to go ahead and check off for our students by providing those free test prep materials and giving you the resources that you need. So that has been huge in my journey, but test is super important. And if you don't have that score, um, you know, it's, it's just really tough to be able to get those acceptances into those programs. I think a lot of times students will come into the program, especially tier three, since that's where we have test prep. And they think, oh, it'll only take one attempt. Like only <laughs> one time do I have to take this test. And you start to hear more and more people say, no, I had to do it more than once. And you're like, oh, I won't be that person. Like, I love what I'm going to be doing. I'm so passionate. I'm going to ace this the first time I take it. And then you find yourself taking it again. And I really think students need to realize that that is okay and it's normal. Sometimes we're not always as prepared as we think we should be the first time around. And I'm also proof of that. It didn't take me only one time around to get a score I was happy with. So it's definitely a learning lesson, number eight, the test. And, and with the students in the tier three, so assuming they don't get the score that they want, how does medics, where do they take it from there? So I'm actually an example of that because even though I got that Kaplan resource, my score did not turn out the way I needed it to. But if being so gracious and so generous, they provided me extra MCAT resources that you know may have been more helpful to me. So that's one thing that I really love about this program is if our students realize, hey, I'm still not you know, hitting this mark, I'm, you know, I still have this financial need or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, we have funding that we can provide students to be able to give them those resources if wow. that initial resource in um, tier three just doesn't suffice. We also provide a lot of mentorship for students um, outside of the tier three summer program. So we have a lot of students who follow up after the summer and maybe they took the test and they didn't get the score that they wanted to, or they didn't take the test yet because they wanted to take it later on in the year. So we really try to keep up with the students who follow up with us and reach out. And we try to help them make a schedule and keep to that schedule and kind of try to follow along with them and see how their progress is going. Because I think a lot of success comes with some amount of accountability. And, and we also have compiled a huge list of free resources as well. And I've sent that to I don't know how many students within the last few months. So I think those are some really helpful things, too. You do a really great job, actually, of like creating those study plans. I mean, she has people in the office probably every week trying to get a study <laughs> plan. And she I mean, she's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we have so anyone out there who needs it. Just go oh, Caroline Loftus. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, pretty awesome. Um, after the test is GPA. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, GPA. Um, that is probably one of the hardest things to bounce back from, especially if you're already a graduate. So it's important to maximize while you're in school you know, getting a good GPA. And if you feel like there is a, you know, a fall in your GPA, do whatever you can to 
get that back up because med schools see that like they see like, oh, wow, sophomore year didn't look very good for them. Oh, but then they had a 4.0 throughout their junior year and, you know, um, senior year, something like that. So kind of seeing you fall and bounce back, I think that says a lot more about your GPA than just the GPA itself. But it's important to try to start strong and finish strong. I know that's tough in the sciences, but that's kind of the mindset you have to have when you go in. Yeah, I, I feel like part of that is just knowing what is possible after college, because I didn't really know what a GPA was after my freshman year. And, uh, you know, thank God it was okay. And I went up from there. But for those people in the earlier stages of your program, tier one, tier two, they can actually realize, oh, this GPA thing will matter at some point down the road if I want to go into a, a competitive uh, graduate program. So that, that exactly. kind of twofold, the representation that they get, as well as the resources to improve that GPA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You should tell them about HMX too, AJ. Right. So we actually partnered with Harvard Medical School. They have this online program called HMX. And a lot of their med students participate in this online asynchronous course. Um, and so we partnered with them to provide some of our students who may have GPA deficits, some of our URM students, someone who's from rural background, things like that, to be able to get this resource for free. And so students get to do this 10 week long online course. You can do biochemistry, immunology, genetics, physiology, all these different courses. And so we kind of gathered all these students that um, either applied to our program or who have been a part of our program and provided this resource to them to be able to get a certificate of achievement hopefully from Harvard. And you also get a certificate of completion if you complete the course. But we always kind of harp and drill in that you want that certificate of achievement because you want to add that to your application to, yeah. you know, just to show like if there's a deficit in my GPA, hopefully this represents and shows that, hey, I still, you know, have some type of academic rigor under my belt and I can do it. So that's something that um, we offer our students as well, which is great. Um, we've already accomplished two cohorts so far. And so we're looking for our next one. but yeah, HMX is a really, really great resource. And that's another thing that we have in our toolbox. Another thing to um, provide students for number six, specifically academic rigor. We want students yeah. to be able to show the competencies and that's where that comes in. So yeah, HMX is awesome. Let's see, academic yeah. rigor, work experience. I feel like that is probably the hardest thing right now, right? Like yeah. with the pandemic, students have been like itching to like get into the healthcare setting. Um, and that's one thing that we could maintain. Thankfully, this past summer, um, all of our students got to, of course, except for tier one, got to shadow uh, providers in our Prisma Health system. But it's, it's really important you have those hours behind you because that shows a program that you are serious about what you're doing and that you have some type of background in this particular field. So anyone else want to add anything about work-related well experience? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it can help differentiate between what fields in healthcare that you are interested in too. Cause I know when I was in high school, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into becoming a physician or a nurse or something else. And so I started working as a nursing assistant and that really helped differentiate the, the difference, you know, between being a nurse and a doctor and a lot of other different fields in healthcare too. And so I think, like, yes, it's important for your resume, but personally, it's really important so you can make an educated decision about what your whole life is going to look like. So number four, extracurriculars. Um, I think this is probably the one thing on the top 10 that students don't necessarily struggle with, 
because there are so many resources and things that you can do outside of academics that add to, of course, your resume and your application. The downfall about this is that students feel like they have to have a million and one extracurriculars yeah. and they actually don't devote time and effort to something. And so when they're asked in an interview, so we saw that you participated in beta club. What was your role and like, what did you do? Like, how did you contribute to it? And all they can probably think of is, well, I went to the meetings and that's it. Rather, you want substance behind what you're involved in. Um, and so I think I was a part of like three clubs and I played collegiate volleyball. And I like, could actually devote decent time to each one. And so those are the things I want to put on my application. But I didn't overwhelm myself with a whole bunch of things, thinking that a med school would think, oh, my gosh, she was involved in 100 clubs. She's awesome. That's not really what it portrays, you know. Tori, do you want to take personal statement? I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> I am very passionate about personal statements, probably because I had three drafts of a personal statement. Essentially, it's your why for medicine. Why are you doing this? What is your motivation? What's going to keep you going when it's really hard and stressful? Something that I really love about a personal statement is like no one else can replicate that. A lot of our students will get nervous when they come to us looking for guidance on how to write one and they want to see another example, another example. And it's like, Another example isn't going to help you because it's truly that personal to you. Um, so something I love to do with students is just have them tell me their story. They get so caught up in typing up a personal statement that they forget to just sit back and think about what they've been through and how they even became interested in healthcare. So I absolutely love those opportunities to mentor students and just have a conversation because you realize all of the treasure that they have within them that they're just kind of unsure of how to put that on paper. But the personal statement is definitely like your brand. That is who you are. And that says, this is why I'm going to do this and why I'm going to be successful in this field. One thing I also want to add to that, that's one of two things on this top 10 that you have complete control over. One is mm -hmm. believe and two is personal statement. So those are the two things that you literally have control over. Now, sometimes, hey, you can get work-related experiences. You know, sometimes that test just doesn't work out, those types of things. But those are the two things that you have complete control over and you dictate 100%. So, yeah, we, we try to stress to students, like, think about your story. Think about what has brought you to this point and then write it. A lot of students try to, like, think and write, and that's just not the way to approach a personal statement. That's hard. Good. Number two. Letters of rec. Do you want to take this, Caroline? Sure, I can. So letters of recommendation are obviously incredibly important because not only do we want to hear why you want to go into medicine, but we want to hear from other people supporting statements saying, we believe this person is a great fit for this program. And we believe this person is going to be a great healthcare provider in the future because of these reasons that we've seen. And so that is a letter being sent to your future school saying, these are all the reasons why this person and what they are saying about themselves is true or not. And so you definitely want to find some people who are going to really say things that um, speak to your character and who you are and those things that are backed up by things that you've done in your life around these people. So we often say for our own program, 
get letters of recommendation from people who know you well. So that can be from professors, from religious leaders, from um, lots of different people in your life, but obviously they shouldn't be from a family member or a politician, unless you know that po politician really well. <laughs> and so the point to letters is not to have somebody with all of the, you know, letters behind their name um, backing you, but they should be somebody who knows you well and can talk about who you are going into this program. And um, so those are really, really important factors about the letters of recommendation. You know, I, I laughed, like who would get a politician to write them a letter? And then I remembered that I actually tried to get a politician to write me a letter. <laughs> I applied to GW and my, oh, wow. my friend from, from uh, college worked in, he worked on the Hill in the representative's office from Florida. And I tried to like work out something and... <laughs> Uh, not surprisingly, there was never a letter generated. And uh, <laughs> wow, I forgot all about that. <laughs> um, but that when it comes to your benefit, <laughs> right? <laughs> probably so. I did not get into George Washington for med school either. Um, when it comes to letters of recommendation, though, you talked about some people that they should ask. What information should these students provide mm. as well to the person writing that letter? Mm. Do you want to hit on that, AJ? Sure. So, now, this applies to both personal statement and letters of recommendation. Our rule of thumb at MedEx is that students try to look at those 15 competencies on AAMC website. So it says like service orientation and um, social skills, social <laughs> skill. I mean, they have all these different competencies on their website. Mm -hmm. and, and we try to tell students to base their personal statement and those letters of rec off of those because hmm. that's what med schools are looking for. Do you have all these competencies? And if you can hit on all those, either in your application, personal statement, or in those letters of rec, then you probably have a good thumbs up. And so that's what we try to tell students. If you realize in your application, in your personal statement, like, oh my gosh, I still have three of these competencies that I did not hit on. That's when you need to find that person, that professor, that mentor, whoever, who can write about one of those things or all of them to kind of give you that check on those 15 competencies. And one way we tell students to do that is to one, be professional, obviously, um, either speak to them in person or send a professional email and give them an actual concrete example of you exhibiting that in their mm -hmm. presence. So if, if it's a lab professor and you're trying to get served or oral communication, you can say specifically when I had to do a oral presentation on this specific lab report, um, this is a great example of me using oral communication. Would you mind talking about th that experience and how I exhibited that competency very well? And that's a beautiful written letter right there, right? A lot of people like to write letters that are resume rambling, and we see that all the time with our um, letters of rec. And you don't want someone who's going to ramble because obviously the med schools and all these other programs know that. They know all this. They see it. And so you want them to talk about something more personal um, and something that really connects both of you and why you'll be a good fit for their program. Another point that I have heard quite a bit and I tried to utilize when I was asking for letters of recommendation in looking at those 15 core competencies was finding people. So I had professors who wrote about how I am academically with academic rigor and with all of those different components of the core competencies. And then I tried to find somebody who could speak to how I am socially. So trying to hit on the different components of your life to all come together so that they have a holistic picture of who you are. 
Well, last but not least, interview. That's number one. That's number one for a reason, because that is the like that's the vetting tool right there. That's how schools make their final decision. And so we hold that as number one, because that can literally be the determining factor, because everything above that is what got you in the door like that got you in the seat. This is that final piece that you have to have to seal the deal. Um, And that's why we have hours on top of hours on top of hours of interview training with our students so that they're well equipped. And also even our application process historically has been two interviews. You have a primary interview and a secondary interview. Um, And that's us trying to kind of replicate the type of stress you may endure during that process. So we try to get students that taste of it before even our high school students have interviews because we want them to get acclimated to being in that environment. And once they're acclimated to that, then we can get into the root of their of their interview style um, answers and how they should be answering and all those types of things, interview etiquette. And and as we talk about interviewing for underrepresented in medicine, minority students, how do they address that when it comes to professional school applications as well as the interview process? Yeah, so historically underrepresented minorities in a lot of ways don't show up the way they should show up. And I think it's just because of lack of resources, which is why MedEx is trying to close that gap and provide resources to all people. But of course, to really try to hone in on our URM students to make sure they're well equipped, because a lot of URM students are playing catch up. Like I was definitely one of those students who was always playing catch up. And that was just the lack of resources I had or lack of resources in general. Um, And I wasn't able to get the guidance and mentorship that I needed ahead of time. And so um, it's really important that we kind of hone in, not on not just on all 10, but of course the interview. Because a lot of students show up, not necessarily prepared, but also knowing how to answer questions, especially about diversity. And that kind of gets us into like this next point about how URMs can show up in the interview and the application when it comes to diversity. So nine times out of 10, when a URM student is asked, so how will you add diversity to our program? Instantly, we always turn to race and ethnicity. Well, I'm an African-American and a Hispanic female. And so I add diversity. And that's like the answer that we give. And that's fine because that is diversity. But that's telling them that the only thing about me is my race and ethnicity. That's the only thing that's going to add to your program when that's not true. URM students have a lot of personal experiences and journeys that really would add value so a lot of times when I have my URM students, I, you know, I tell them like, you need to pull on other things that make you diverse because your skin color does not define you, right? Like we want to make sure we're showing these programs that we have more on the inside than what we see on the outside. Because the outside is just checking a box. That's checking for accreditation right there. In mm-hmm. order for you to get that seat, it's to show what can you add as a person to their program. So for instance, if you know, your cultural background, or if you're a part of social groups like LGBTQIA, if you have a disability, do you have a religious affiliation that kind of makes you stand out? Maybe your employment history, if you're from a rural background, what's your family background or dynamics, right? I, have, I come from a, a split home, a very blended family, and that has really shaped a lot of my experiences. That's something that adds diversity. Socioeconomic status, that's huge. Personal experiences and characteristics, there's so many other things that students can pull from. While saying outside of the obvious, you know, race and ethnicity, here are other things that I know would add value to your program and add diversity. And that's what we try to tell our students. It's okay to make sure you like people recognize, like, not only am I racially diverse, here are some other things that pack a lot of punch, you know? 
It's good. It expands that yeah. definition of uh, yeah. diversity. Yes, that's what we're trying to do at MedEx is trying to help expand. I mean, everyone, when you hear diversity, instantly it's race and ethnicity, which is so true. That's diverse, but it just does encompass everything about diversity. And so we try to help expose students to those different sides, those different metrics. Absolutely. And especially yeah. important with the uh, you know socioeconomic status and, and how that impacts, especially in a state like South Carolina, where you need... Um, urban as well as rural, but more so rural um, physicians and, and healthcare providers. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. So yeah, those are some of the, the few things students can do to just help stand out in that interview. Fantastic. This is an incredible program, but the question I have is who is it for? So the, cause the, the tiers start off in high school. So tier one, I assume, I mean, you have to be in South Carolina, right? Yeah, tier one is primarily, so because tier one students are high school students, we can't unfortunately provide housing for them because of age restrictions. So typically, if you can drive there, you can be there. So as long as students either, like we've had students who've lived with family in the nearby area, um, so they're able to attend even if maybe they're farther, like from Columbia or something. Um, and then for college students, we are able to provide free housing for our students. Mm -hmm. So that is a huge point. And we also um, provide a weekly grocery stipend as well for our students who are staying in student housing. So those tiers, tiers two through four in the undergraduate tiers, cover students from freshmen in college all the way through after graduate school and past that. So basically, if you're in college or after that and you need MedEx, we're here for you. Fantastic. And Tori, how does one apply to your program? So relevant right now. <laughs> so simply Googling MedEx Academy, uh, the very first link that you will see is the link to our website. You'll find a link on our website that says Applications and Forms. You click that. We have a system called Interfolio that our students will use to apply. Um, we require that students have letters of recommendation. They do have to fill out our application, which consists of some essay questions. And there are consent forms because we want to make sure either a parent or guardian knows where you are during the summer. But other than that, our application is pretty easy and our staff is always available to help students with any problems that they have. Our application is actually closing January 9th, so pretty soon. Pretty soon. Yeah, we're recording this at the end, the tail end of December. So uh, we'll, we'll get this up with a couple days to spare. I mean, I usually did everything at the last minute anyways. But for folks that may miss this, this uh, deadline in 2022, they can apply in, you know, before next January. Is that right? The application usually opens in October and closes first week of January-ish. October, <laughs> January. And I'll definitely be, you know, we'll, we'll put links in the show notes so you can go to their website. And if you remind me when October rolls around, I'll do everything I can to help put out the word that the applications process is opening up. That's good. Awesome. Well, ladies, thank you so much for coming on the Black Doctors podcast. Thank you for sharing Medex Academy and 
all the incredible resources that you guys are offering for folks going on to pursue careers in healthcare, or maybe not. Um, but definitely for those folks located in South Carolina, you know, representation matters. And this is the reason that we're all uh, doing the things that we do. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. The Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. If you enjoy listening, tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media. We are a small team and can use all the help we can get. You can reach us at the Black Doctors Podcast on Instagram or at Stephen Bradley MD on Twitter or Instagram. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast because representation matters.